As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and alongside me is my new co-host, although you're not quite new given that we've already done one show together, uh, Natalie Sawyer. <laughs> yeah, that's quite right. Thank you, Gab. Uh, the Premier League is back, and it's back in some style as well. All of last season's top five were victorious, while the promoted trio of Wolves, Cardiff and Fulham found out just how tough life in the top division can be. Today, among many discussions, we're looking at trouble for Mourinho in Manchester and Modric at Madrid. In the studio with us today is Times Chief Sports Writer Matt Dickinson and down the line from his hidden conservatory in lovely Rippenden, it's the Times' very own Chief Football Correspondent, Ollie Kay. Uh, we start at the Emirates as Manchester City pick up where they left off last season. A dominant 2-0 win, ruining Unai Emery's uh, first game in charge of the Gunners. So, uh, Ollie, were City great or were Arsenal average? I don't think it was anything like the... A standard that would be the accepted norm from Arsenal this season. I mean, obviously they were playing against Manchester City, the best team in in the in the league, one of the best teams in the world currently. And uh, but I I was I was disappointed by Arsenal, and I, I know that sounds really really harsh, but I expected to see more signs of a new way of playing and and more signs of players having a a spring in their step and and looking different. And I know it's been difficult with this preseason. And I know. Um, um, you know, some players have come back late, but they haven't had a, they've had a better preseason, a more, a more um, settled preseason than a lot of other teams. Yeah, I, I just felt if you were watching them without knowing that there'd been a change of manager, you wouldn't know. It, it was, it was obviously the pressing was slightly different, but I'm, we'll talk about it slightly. And I think if anybody's looking for five reasons to be cheerful about that performance, um, I think they would be um, scraping the barrel. By the time they got past um, Gunduzi, who I thought was decent without being exceptional. Oh, I'm Gunduzi. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm curious talking about this before because after the match, I, people are talking about, oh, look, he starts a 19 year old. How brave. And look, wasn't he great? Mm-hmm. And he's all over. I don't get it. Wasn't he on the first goal? He lets Sterling run right past him. And on the second goal, it's his fault. And he's sitting in front of the back four and. The, the city are just pressing the stuffing out of them. Was it really all that? No, I, I didn't think. I don't think it was a, a great performance. But I think I think he showed some good qualities within that within a, a sort of erratic performance. I thought um, whether or not it was the right decision to start him. Um, that's open to debate, and I was hoping to see Lucas Torreira to be honest, because he's the one of the summer signings that I'd be really enthused by. But um, I, I thought Genduzi, um at least showed 
character, showed personality and showed some quality, uh, but he also showed those errors, as you say. So it's not like you could say his performance was a, or his, his selection was a resounding success, but I think he was probably a, a, a bigger positive than anything else. I mean, what would anybody say was a, a bigger positive than, than a slightly encouraging performance by a 19 year old? I, I didn't really see it. I didn't really see one. In, his, in, in, in the teenagers' defence as well, we should remember Granny Xhaka's next to him, and, and if he's the senior partner, let's let's just say he didn't do um, as much as he might have done to, uh, to to help his junior. But isn't it the same old problem with Arsenal of late, that they don't have a natural leader out there? Isn't that what's going wrong with Arsenal as well? It's just he's injured. Everything will be fine when he comes back. Come on now, have faith. No, look, I mean... <laughs> It is weird. We have certain archetypes, and with Arsenal, it's always a certain kind of sort of like spinelessness, etherealness, and whatever. And we look at this, and you know, uh, Ollie didn't name names before. And if you want to name and shame Ollie, go ahead. Those people who are supposed to have had a, a spring in their step, I'm assuming you're thinking of Mkhitaryan, Ozil, and Ramsey, who you know, uh, two of those guys had the whole summer off. The other one, uh, <laughs> last laugh at Germany, uh, <laughs> was kicked out in the first round. Although then he's got a lot of rubbish to deal with afterwards. I mean, these guys are supposed to be the difference makers, right? Yeah, but I mean, there was also Bellerin, who I thought stagnated the final couple of years, and, and the Wenger, and I didn't, I didn't think he had a good game. Mustafi, who I think is a better defender than he has shown well, his first two years at Arsenal, he didn't look like a, a great top-class addition either. It was, it was just, I thought that tactically and in terms of I don't know, as I said, the sort of spring in, in the step. I know that I know they covered lots of ground of seen the stats, but I thought tactically and in terms of intensity, they would look different. They would look like a team that had a lift. I know they've really had a really short t- space of time with him, but sometimes you get that within a week of somebody, you know, sometimes you get that even when a manager is appointed on Thursday and he, and he takes training on the, on the Friday and appears on the bench on a Saturday, you, you expect a bit of a, new broom effect and you expect that even against Manchester City and I think what it showed is that I think there's a staleness that is going to take a long time to eradicate and maybe this job is bigger than most of us have thought. Do you want to take a stab at telling me what Stan Kroenke buying out Alisher Uzmanov means for Arsenal and Arsenal fans if anything? Uh, The fans are throwing their arms up in in horror at it and you can sort of understand that because they're so frustrated by the lack of of dialogue with Kronk I mean you know that doesn't make him unique among American owners it's got to be said but um, I I think there's you know deep scepticism about him about his, 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 his methods and about how I think Arsenal Club where the fans there's a very vocal group, and they've become increasingly vocal, obviously, under the, the latter Wenger years. Um, and, and I think they feel a certain impotence um, will be sort of heightened now. But same, same as before. He's in charge before. He's in charge yeah, before. no, I don't. I don't. At the moment, it's hard to see what radical change that's going to make to you know the running of the club. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the manager is the more important, most important appointment to them, and. Um, Kroenke kept Wenger on for, for 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 longer than many of them wanted, hoped, um, and now that regime will have to be judged by the Unai Emery appointment. And and as Oli's just spelled out, there's there's a lot 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 more to learn and a lot more to be proven by him. 
Okay, let's move on to uh, City then, who've uh, hit the ground running in the defence of their title then after that 2-0 win. And I guess, Ollie, the big question is, when you look at the side that started, when you look at the bench, the strength of the squad, what is City's best team? Uh, what a terrible problem for Pep Guardiola to have. Um, I think I, I think he's in some ways sport for choice. Um, sometimes he said, looking at teams, oh, they've got such a squad, strong squad, they could name two really strong teams. But I really believe that's the case with, with City. I mean, if you think of their front five from last season, you know, the two creative ones in midfield, plus the front three, I think it was only Aguero and Sterling that started, and it was... Bernardo Silva, it was Mares, it was um, Gundogan. Central defenders were, were were different from last season. It was um, Stones and Laporte, uh, were, I suppose, a company in Otamendi. Left back was different uh, with Mendy coming in, and he just didn't see any any difference. It, it was seamless. It was a seamless transition from one group of players to another, and obviously those are are really good players, all of them, and they cost a lot of money, most of them, but. I do think it's enormously impressive the way they can just, you know, you, you can change the parts. You can leave out De Bruyne, you can leave out Silva, you can leave out Sane, Company, Otamendi, and you barely notice a difference. That is really worrying for the rest of the Premier League. I know, um, I know we look at Liverpool and say, well, they'll be stronger this year, but there's no real reason to suspect that City will be weaker. I mean, it's frightening, isn't it? The fact that you say they could field these two different sides and they'd both be so incredibly strong. But Bernardo Silva, Gav, you're a big fan of his, aren't you? Yeah, it's funny because um, I don't think Bernardo Silva is a good wide midfielder. He's a, he's a good wide midfielder in relation to his wages and his fees. And he's been stuck there uh, both with Portugal and out of necessity with City. But, you know, he doesn't have the quickness. He doesn't have the strength to go and track back defensively when he's playing wide. You know, he is a number 10. And, I mean, I think Pep probably knew this all along. I mean, they bought him longer term as they bought him as a long-term alternative to David Silva or possibly De Bruyne. So I think we're going to see more of that uh, this season. You assume that, you know, David Silva's minutes might might go down a little. He's, he's, he's a year older. And... What an exciting solution to have. And I think that's also a big part of the reason why they, they brought Mares as well. So, you know, to have another body who can do the up and down on the wing thing. So, I mean, they're tremendous. I mean, if I have to nitpick and try to find try to find weaknesses, Ederson had a couple funny moments. Um, Laporte, I think, is still a project as a Stones, but, you know... If they screw up, you have Otamendi and company. You know, it's, I mean, maybe it's Fernandinho, right? Maybe that's the one situation where you look at it and you say, if he goes down, then you're relying either on Delph, who nobody liked as a central midfielder and kind of reinvented him last year, himself last year, Dicko, but, you know, isn't anywhere near on a par with, um, with Fernandinho or possibly Gundogan, who's often hurt. Oh, there's been talk of maybe even putting John Stones there. I mean, you know, coming Come off. Sorry, have serious people actually seriously said this, or is it like Joe X Pro on television? Oh, Stones. I thought, can do I it. thought didn't Pep Pep floated it, didn't he? But um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's, it's a delight to see him play. You know, coming off the World Cup, where I thought he 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 was. A lot of people talked about Harry Maguire. I thought John Stones was 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 the best of those three defenders. It's just great to see him play and come in with the confidence that he showed there. And but yeah, if you're looking, I take your point. If Fernandinho gets injured, that's probably the one place where they don't have instant ready um, replacement to come in. But 
Pep's a creative guy. I look forward to seeing what he comes up with to uh, to cover that. It's City just look pretty much unstoppable. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Well, should we move on to the, the red half of Manchester then? And the troubles between Jose Mourinho and the hierarchy at Old Trafford seem to have been forgotten for a few hours at least as United kicked off their campaign with a 2-1 win over Leicester on Friday night. That was until, of course, Paul Pogba, who opened the scoring from the penalty spot, had his say after um, the game. And he said this, if you're not happy... Sorry, should, should somebody else voice it in Pogba's oh, accent? <laughs> I can't do it, but I'm sure... You, know, you have an acting background, you used to tread the boards. Do you want... If you're not happy. He said this, if you're not happy, you cannot give your best. There are things I cannot say, otherwise I'll get fined. He said, Manchester United is a different team to France. I'm still enjoying playing football. I still love football and I still give my best with the team for the team. Like I said, when you are comfortable, when people trust with everyone, it's going to be easier. And then on Instagram, he said, I'll always give my best to the fans and my teammates, no matter what's going on. Dicko, what is happening? Well, I think it's a run-on from what was happening last season. I mean, it, 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 it was bubbling up already then. We saw it in, in various games when Pogba was, um, well, he was either playing fitfully when he was on the pitch, then he was left out of some of some pretty big matches. Uh, I think there was an interview um, he did, I think it was one of the American um, sites that he did just before the World Cup, where he was sort of cryptic, but clearly hinting pretty heavily that things were not uh, good between him and, and Mourinho. There was some sort of slightly weird sort of language from Mourinho post after the World Cup, which, you know, you, you bear in mind one of your star players has just won it. You you would just think it's, it's a pretty simple job just to say, great, you know, this we've seen him play well and this is what I'm going to harness and this is what I want to bring to the team. But sort of Jose being Jose, sort of playing a few games seemed to... What did he say? Can you remind us? Um, well, he talked about how, you know, being at a World Cup would have helped Pogba because he, you know, he, he only had to concentrate on, on that at the time. You know, it was sort of helped him just being a month long. He was implying that, you know, oh, he can get it right for sort of one summer, but give him a whole season, bring it back to Manchester and there are various diversions, which, uh, I mean, there may be some truth in that, in, in certainly in Mourinho's mind, although it's a bit rich because I do remember Pogba's debut, I think it was, and it was Man United who were flaunting sort of hashtags all over the place. And, and, and clearly part of the attraction for signing him is because he is this sort of hashtag haircut figure. So, you know, there's a slight um, double standards there. But I think it's... I think it's going to be one of the great sort of well, a fascinations and and b barometers of the Mourinho regime. You've got a, a player here who was shown at the World Cup that if you simplify his game, give him a clear role, he can be hugely effective. Uh, at Man United last year, he was oh, clearly his mind was a, a bit of a mess. He was over elaborating. He was form was lurching around, and and clearly that's partly the player's responsibility, but clearly. It's also a huge responsibility of the manager to get the best out of him. Well, Ollie, I, I, I want to get your view on this because you live closer to Paul Pogba than uh, Natalie Dicko or I do. Um, the thing Dicko just said is something I profoundly disagree with, but in the spirit of a new season, um, I, I, I will be polite about it. This idea that the World Cup shows you how to get the best out of Pogba... Um, 
I, I don't I would say it's mine. It's certainly to get the best out of his mindset. Well, at the World Cup, he was basically asked to go and be a big body in front of the back four and be a defensive midfielder, which is fine. You can do that when you're France, and but that means playing a defensive counterattacking football, which you know supposedly isn't part of United's DNA. Uh, it means you know doing it with United. You already have Matic to go and do that. Surely he wasn't, he wasn't only that. I would say as well. I mean, and you know. Judging it when you're already it's pretty dire, man. well ahead in the final, but I mean that part, that one pass he did, uh, the sort of volley pass in the final, scoring the goal he did in the final. Um, I'm trying to think which game it was uh, early in the group stage where he was causing a bit of damage in, around the box as well. I, I, you know, I, I, clearly he was a more disciplined player for France, but I think it was more just the fact that he he looked like a guy who knew what his role was. Ollie, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna stick up for Mourinho here. If Mourinho, I'm going to argue that if Mourinho played, used Pogba the way Deschamps used Pogba at the World Cup, uh, Mourinho would simply go and get slaughtered. Not least because United don't have the front four that, that, that France do. I think if Mourinho used him there and, and performances and results were good, I don't think he'd get slaughtered at all. I, th- I, th- I, think, I think he was bought with 4-2-3-1 in mind. That's, that's the way... United started out playing when he arrived, and then they bought, and it wasn't really working. And then they bought Matic, and it was it was then about Matic and Pogba. And then it seemed that that didn't get the best out of him. So um, they played a three for most of the last season. He was in and out of the team at times, which a lot of people found strange. And then they buy a, a, a more of a box to box midfielder in Fred, who should be able to enable them to um, play four three three in a way that releases Pogba more. He's this kind of central midfielder that Mourinho has never really had or, or trusted before. Mourinho likes players who sacrifice themselves for the team. Pogba likes to play with freedom, like it's for fun, like, you know, like he's playing in the park with his mates, as Gary Neville did last year. And it just seems a really strange uh, combination in terms of personality and in terms of you know the type of player he is and the type of manager Mourinho is. And, and I know there's um I know nobody really expects this um transfer talk to result in a um in a in a in a transfer before before the European transfer window close at the end of the month, but I think it, it it's all about trying to get my bigger contract. And I would say his his form for United so far doesn't warrant a huge pay rise, but what warrants a huge pay rise is, is the fact that uh, Alexis Sanchez come in on even more money, much more money and, and is um and is playing less well than, a, than an underperforming Pogba. It all sounds terribly dysfunctional, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, let me ask a question to all three of you then. Obviously, there appears to be some unease, some unhappiness at, at Old Trafford. Uh, Mourinho obviously has been moaning. We've, we've heard Pogba's comments uh, today as well. Question is, Gab, for you first. Who do United need more, Mourinho or Pogba? Um, I, I think they need Pogba more than, than Mourinho, longer term. This is Mourinho's third season. Um, this is when you start evaluating things. I think what United need more than most, maybe even more than both, and you know, some people are, are, are suggesting this, I think they need a director of football who can provide long-term continuity, who can be better at negotiating transfers and dealing in the transfer market than Ed Woodward is, who may be a great chief executive and United's numbers speak for themselves, but United have had major, major issues in, in the transfer market the last four years. And maybe even somebody who who have the right figure like that, part of what they do is they build bridges, they're the diplomats, they 
you know, they make sure that the players and the, the manager are on board. One thing I would say, though, is I think Mourinho knows how to get along with people when he wants to and it's in his interest, and he doesn't pick fights that he can't win. So I don't think this is so much of an issue. Maybe it is about Pogba wanting a new deal or a move. I think he wouldn't have said what he said if he didn't want to plant some sort of seed out there. He knows exactly what he's doing when Pogba goes and uh, goes and says this. But equally, I think these are two people who can work together and, and I think will work together this season. Um, I'll would, I would dispute that point about picking fights he can't win. Eva, Eva Carnero might be one that... Um uh, among the many fights he's picked, and uh, he, he he had plenty of cause to regret. But um, no, it's true, an inter- it's, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, I mean and, and I think one key sort of indicator, maybe, is to the way Manu um, or Ed Woodward would would answer, uh, and the hierarchy would answer that question, is the f- the way that they did not back or, uh, Mourinho in the way he wanted to in the transfer window. I, I do think, and that's a a dangerous road to go down in the sense that it, it, it's it's likely to bring forward the schism um, with Mourinho. Gab mentions the third season. I don't think any of us think he's going to be a- a- around much much longer. Um, I think he's probably looked around Europe. I'm pretty sure he has to see his exit strategy even before now. Uh, I don't think United is a club he's ever going to be loved at. Um, I think he probably knows that deep down. I think he's got the problem of City down the road. So I just think all those things add up. They didn't back him for certain signings, uh, defensive signings. I think shows that they're probably thinking, well, you know, we're not going to give him a short-term option. We're going to think longer term. So, you know, I think this is likely to be his last season there. And finally, Oli? Um, I think they could take the view that, that, that Pogba is far more likely to... Um to, to be there in three, four, five years than Mourinho is, but I don't know how, how committed does Pogba appear to it to be if, if if he's saying if I'm not happy I can't give my best. He's not saying I can't produce my best. And I don't know whether that interview was done in in French or in English, but he's. I think we could see a situation where in two or three years neither of them's there. Um, I think if, if he was offered Barcelona and he could get out. Surely he would go for to Barcelona, and that's that's. I mean, in the same way that most footballers in in the world would go to Barcelona rather than to um, play in England, whether it's in Manchester, or in London, or in Liverpool, or anywhere else. If there comes a point where Mourinho's not there and um, and Pogba isn't there either, that they do, as Gab says, have director football, because I think that you can criticise so many things about about this transfer window, but I think what it's shown is is a recognition and acknowledgement from Ed Woodward that. After five years of him running the club, basically, there has been a completely erratic transfer strategy. Um, and I think he was just reining it in a bit and just saying, look, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep signing 29-year-olds for extremely, you know, on, on long, extremely lucrative contracts with the transfer fees. We, we, we're going to have to be a bit more sensible about this and think a bit more long-term. And if we're looking to that long-term, I'd, I, I think it, it will probably be very long term a future without Mourinho a future without Pogba who I expect to be in Spain and I should really hope that it's a, a, a future without Ed Woodward calling the shots football VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen VoiceOver on settings so you can navigate it just by listening books contacts calendar double tap to open breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day 
Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, I think it's time that we focus on something that's already been alluded to, the transfer deadline day, this uh, window that, of course, closed before the start of the Premier League season. Sorry, i got to ask you, does that feel weird for you? I mean, What, not working on it? Yeah, I, the, the, it, it had become such a, you know, sort of a, a, a biannual sort of oh. festival of familiarity. and Yeah, yeah I mean, it was in, in that sense, yeah, I suppose. But um, I quite enjoyed not working on it, actually, um, just because it was quite nice to sort of watch what was happening rather than kind of be on it and sort of not feeling like... As much as you know what's happening, you kind of sometimes feel like you're missing bits because you're always frantic. Um, Did you ever wonder that... Was this one so boring and rubbish because you weren't on it? Or is that one of those sort of coincidence, causality situations? And obviously no one really wore a yellow dress, um, which I'd like to point out. I was the one that brought the yellow dress in in terms of I bought it myself. I brought yellow for transfer deadline day. And after that, they liked it. And then they started buying everyone yellow dresses. So anyway, but we digress. Yes, it's something I've known a, a thing or two about before the transfer deadline day. But of course, the window across Europe remains very much open until the end of this month. I mean, I suppose the first question is, is how do you both feel about that? The fact that it's closed over here in England, but it's open everywhere else still. Dicko? Um, I, I, could, I think we could all understand the, the, why it seemed a, a better case to close the window before the start of the season. I think, you know, there was that sense of just a sort of clean break between, you know, um, that frenzy and right now let's get on with the matches. Um there was a couple of awkward situations of obviously players playing against clubs and uh, you know while uh, transfers are ongoing. So yes, there is a logic to that. There is not a logic to it closing here before the, the, the rest the rest of Europe. And that bit of uh, illogicality is going to hopefully be fixed by. Um, I know FIFA have talked about it. I, I, Matt Hughes did a story for our paper last week. I've spoken to. Um, a couple of people at FIFA myself who say that, um, and at UEFA who say that they would like to homogenise this, they would like to bring it all together and, and, and have, you know, um, a p- sort of pan-European window that's obviously then complicated by different parts of Europe have different rhythms of their, their football season. But I, I, I actually don't think this is going to be any kind of Armageddon over the next two weeks. I don't think, you know, suddenly we're going to see European clubs exploit English, there's enough time in the summer to to do your business I I don't think there's going to be any sort of bombshell ramifications from this but clearly, 
you know, say that the, the point where we all close the window at the same time is something to aspire to and hope is, is fixed. And I know a few clubs have certainly got enough regrets or feel like they, they may lose out that, you know, there's a chance that the decision could be reversed. Which clubs are you referring to? Well, it's just a few. I mean, as you're speaking to, I mean, you see Pochettino, you know, when the, the original decision came out, he said, yeah, that's a good thing to do. Now he's saying, oh, it's a problem. I mean, maybe the fact that he's got, <laughs> he suffered more than most um, not getting players has affected that. I know a, another chief executive of, of a leading club um, has said, I will be bringing this back to the table because actually... He's talking about Steve Parrish. <laughs> I'm not. It's, it's a northern club, so there's definitely a few who are repenting of that decision and, and regretting it. It's Lee Charnley. So, um, Notice how he doesn't correct himself there. Yeah, it, it may be reversed unless we get that, um, the, you know, the, the, the ties with the rest of Europe. Yeah, which is obviously not going to happen because leagues start at different times for a reason because there's different weather patterns, different traditions in Europe. I mean, for me personally, starting football, starting and realize you guys have been doing this for a long time. Y'all invented the game, but playing football in the first two weeks of August is just stupid, I think. It's just wrong, you know, but... Hey, I'm respectful of it. Different situations, different climates. I'm sure it goes back to the factories and black lung and stuff like that, why you started playing in August. Um, I see no reason for it, but then again... Just remember the Football League starts a week earlier. Just remember that. Yeah, but it's even sillier. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't get it, but whatever. So I think you have to respect that, that people have different quirks. I think when I spoke to Gianni Fantino, because, you know, Dicko only speaks to people at FIFA. I, I speak to the top man. Um... <laughs> He said it was one of the priorities, including reforming agents and reforming um, the, the the transfer system as a whole. Maybe even the possibility of of ending it in uh, in July, you know, July thirty first cutoff. If you do that, at least as far as Europe is concerned, you know, most of the leagues. I think maybe even the championship that doesn't mm-hmm. start in July. Yeah, you know, you can do it that way, and but then you do have all the. European Cup competition qualifiers that are taking place in July. So it's, you know, what do you yeah, do? Yeah, but that? I think, the, well, first of all, let's be fair about it. We can pretend everybody's equal, right? But it's only the crummy, it's only the teams from tiny nations and the really bad teams uh, that play their football in July. But um, I think one of the points of emphasis, though, is that a lot of the negotiation, you can have like, you know, negotiations happen before. They, have, they happen before the transfer window even opens, as we know, right? But maybe you, call the transfer window sort of an execution window in the sense that you can do the deals in this one period, so line them up beforehand, but then after that, you know, it ends. Um, that could be one way around it. But, yeah, obviously they should have thought about this better. They I was going to say, but that implies, yeah, strategy, planning, uh, and, and forethought. And as we, I mean, whenever you close a window, there's going to be a scrap. There, there will be some clubs who will be running around like their pants are on fire. I mean, that's that's just a, a fact of, of football. However... However, many times we, we look at it with um, amusement, alarm, despair. Um, the, the fact is that certain clubs are just uh, either incompetent or addicted to this sort of um, last-minute you know, thrash, basically. It's interesting, though, because Tottenham normally are one of those clubs that are one of those that you see doing last-minute deals. Um, but I want to ask, in general, who's done the best business, then, in this window? Gab? I really like what, what Brighton have done. Um, I don't think all those players are necessarily going to be a, a, a success, but I thought they were pretty creative about the way they went about doing it. Within the top six, I think it's hard to look 
to look past Liverpool. What I would say about Liverpool, though, is that that is an absolute ton of money that they've committed now, you know, going back to Virgil van Dijk. And yes, they sold Coutinho, but it's not like, you know, you can keep pretending <laughs> the Coutinho money stretches on forever. I think it is a gamble, but I think the gamble comes at the right time. This is the year that I think you can really consolidate. You can really go after City, even a strong second place finish um, and another strong showing in Europe, I think can, can help take you to the next level commercially. Yeah, I, th- I think of the, of the top clubs, Liverpool had a couple of clear areas to, to, to strengthen a goalkeeper, threw in a, thrown a lot of money at it. But Cater, they were, were after for a long time, so that you know they got their business done early. So there's a there's a, a, a clear strategy to that, and and it looks like in two key positions it's going to strengthen them. Uh, of of the rest, I, I think Fulham's interesting. I mean they've you know threw far more money at it than than. I think we thought we would. They've got a, I think, a very good a ton of players too. A ton of players, and I, you know, he's get, it's going to test a very. I mean, I, I'm surprised um, Jukanovic wasn't wasn't snapped up by other clubs before. I, I think he's very well regarded, um, and be it'd be a fascinating test of his coaching acumen whether he can get um, these players to click together. But I think in players like. Um, Seri, who, who they got from Nice, who's you know he was been looked at by a lot, a lot of clubs. I think Fulham. I'm surprised Fulham got him, but I'm I'm now intrigued to see um, if they've got a, a steal in him and, and a few others. Yeah, they had seven debutants uh, in their first game back in the Premier League. Finally, best and worst signings. <laughs> the funny thing is, shows um, shows I was probably best to hold my tongue on this one. I think um, I, I was saw this fee for Richarlison and thought. You know, uh, are they going to get the guy who scored, you know, five goals in the first ten games at Watford, or the guy who seemed to go to sleep for the rest of the season? And um, he's already he's already popped up the couple. So obviously, I'm putting him in the very good ones. <laughs> he's he's lurched from one category to the other already. You're, um, not, you're not sure though, I guess. No, I, I I like my I like my Rich okay. I mean, I think he's a lot of money to spend, but. I didn't want to make this all Everton theme, but when I was asked this by um, our uh, online boss, a handsome gentleman by the name of David Jordan, uh, I don't know if he's listening, um, <laughs> that put the best and worst, I, I went all blue. I went Everton. Um, my best, I think, is Bernard, because getting him on a free transfer, he's going to have resale value if he doesn't work out. His wages are big, but they're not, they're not enormous. That's my understanding. Um, you know, this is a guy who, who has real quality. Um, the, and it has, so it's a big upside. The other one I don't understand is Yeri Mina. Yes, he plays for Barcelona and he scored some headed goals in the World Cup. But, you know, he, he was terrible the few times he played for Barca in, in the six months after arriving. And on top of that, even if he does well, Barcelona, my understanding is they have a buyback agreement. So you don't really get that much benefit out of it anyway. You know, you look at some of the fees that have gone for players. I mean, you look at what West Ham played for Anderson was it 40 million I think it was so you just you know I'm hoping that he's going to brighten up the, the Premier League and, and and he's he's got the talent to do so you just look at it and think only a Premier League club would pay that sort of fee for it um, and say I, I hope it proves to be justified but um, the jury's going to be out for a while yet We're going to end with Gab's favourite feature. It is it's everybody's favourite feature, it, Natalie. I not think just you're right. me. I mean, Sorry, it's the highest rated feature that we had on uh, the Times podcast for the last five years. Okay, just so you know. Thank you for telling me that. It is quick hits. So let's start with this one. Chelsea beat Huddersfield three 0 at the John Smith Stadium as. Uh, we got to see a different version of Ungolo Kante on the side of a three with Jorginho in the middle. Um, 
Dicko, this is demonstrated very neatly in a graphic in the game today. So what did you make of this new midfield lineup under Maurizio Sarri? Uh, well, I loved it, not least because, um, like a genius uh, manager, I picked Kante um, in my fantasy team, widely ridiculed for it, but obviously I knew he'd be playing in a more advanced role. Um, I advised Sarri all about it. Um, with his energy, he's capable of playing anywhere in midfield. With Chelsea likely to be trying to press higher up the field, his energy can be used uh, more liberated. Um, Oh. I love it. loving the new gongs. Shoot a wrap up, Dicko. In yeah. fact, of course. Sa- basically, in, in a nutshell, Sarri and me on the same wavelength. Yeah. That's good to know. Fellow members of the uh, shaven headed fraternity, <laughs> which is a nice way of saying bald fraternity. Now, hey, how about a tweet from Henry Winter? First weekend of the new season, and uh, Premier League club's decision not to introduce VAR already looks even more stupid. Now, I don't want to put words into his mouth, far be it for me, but I'm assuming he might be referencing Liverpool's offside goal, the Andre Shirley penalty incident that was not given, the Bournemouth pen uh, that wasn't, uh, maybe even Jack Cork yesterday. Dicko, you're the biggest VAR cheerleader here. I assume you agree with Henry and also, of course, with uh, with Neil Swarbrick, who is our uh, uh, our new refereeing columnist and uh, who's come out and said it was a mistake not to implement it. No, absolutely. I thought the clubs were given a soft ride when they did decide to um, delay it for another year. I thought it was a pretty cowardly decision. They want sort of everyone else to sort of iron out the glitches um, while they sort of sit on their hands. I think the World Cup showed that to be a mistake and every weekend will show that to be a mistake. There will be a goal that is allowed that shouldn't be or vice versa. Did that very well, Dicko. Very well. You're getting better already. Mm, You are. Um, Tottenham pile more misery on Newcastle, winning 2-1 away and showing few signs of fatigue. Nine Spurs players were still involved at the World Cup semi-final stage and we have a graphic in the game today showing how five of Tottenham's players actually ran more in their opening fixture this year than last year. It was deja vu, wasn't it, because they played Newcastle on the opening day of the season last year. Uh, Dicko, does Pochettino have us all fooled? Uh, I think they're going to pay a price at some stage post-World Cup. I think them, perhaps more than others, but a few teams will. Uh, you know, you see players coming back, Pogba and, and others, and you just think at some stage it's going to catch up with them. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of months into the season there's a few uh, mid-season breaks for some of the World Cup players. Well within time. He's Very good, good, isn't yeah. he? <laughs> Liverpool stomp all over West Ham United, who of course won the World Cup back in 1966. And Nabi Keita is already in fine form. He's, uh, in fact, he's our first cover boy for the game this season. Dicko, are you on the uh, Klopp bandwagon already? Or should we pump the brakes because West Ham were pretty terrible? Uh, I think West Ham were, were pretty ordinary. Their organisation sort of seemed to sort of fall, fall apart a bit. But I, we've got to give credit to Liverpool, don't we? I think you know we've got, we we have high hopes as as neutrals that they're going to give City a good run. Liverpool fans are probably as hopeful as they've been in 30 years that their team's going to push for the title. And, and I think it's pretty well merited. Shout out to my man uh, Sturridge as well because I don't think that uh, you can rely on Salah scoring as much uh, uh, this season as he did last year and I just think they're just generally better rounded Gab here's one for you then what is this that you wrote in the game this week about Luka Modric leaving Real Madrid why on earth uh, would he do that remember he's been named player of the tournament at the World Cup he's won his third straight Champions League with Real why does he want to leave Good question. Um, it's not clear that he will leave, but he was certainly happy for his agents to go talk to uh, Inter Milan for, for, for much of the summer, and they're still talking. If you're cynical, you're going to assume that it's going to be more simply the fact that he wants a new contract. His current deal expires in 2020. Um, but 
it does kind of make you think through Real Madrid. Um, Zidane, Ronaldo, now possibly Modric. This kind of stuff didn't happen in the past. Okay. Natalie, how about one for you? Now, Ooh. as you know, I don't follow the championship or the lower tot, divisions. Tot. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's nothing personal. <laughs> it's simply that I think if you're going to follow it in a professional way rather than just as a fan, um, you need to devote time to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm busy enough following other leagues. But I don't think you need to be uh, outed here. People know you're a Brentford fan. And am I right in thinking they started the season well and maybe even got a point away against the uh, mighty Stoke? Yeah, Stoke, who are one of the favourites to go up. Yeah, we uh, came back to draw at Stoke on Saturday. Ollie Watkins scoring a fantastic goal as well. And he's really taken to the championship since moving to Brentford the summer before last. So, yeah, it's all going pretty well for Brentford. We opened our account with a 5-1 win at home to uh, Rotherham. Perhaps on paper, Rotherham aren't the best side in the league, but they played all right, but they just didn't really have much up front. Um, And bear in mind, it took us nine games to win our first game last season. We're all pretty delighted that we're in sixth at the moment, playing really, really attractive football. And I think if you get the chance to come to Griffin Park and see Brentford, you've got to come because we do play some fantastic football and it's well worth coming along and paying your 20, 25 quid. And you still have four pubs at every corner. Still have four pubs as well. Okay. See, we make it so inviting for everyone. Why would you not um, want to come? All right. I'm just concerned about too much uh, uh, London bias on this, so I guess we won't need to mention Brentford again until we've mentioned uh, the other 23 clubs <laughs> in the championship. <laughs> right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to our excellent guest, the very excellent Matt Dickinson. And from uh, his conservatory in lovely Rippenden, it's Ollie K. Have you ever been to Rippenden? No, I haven't. Neither have you. Uh, I've never been invited by Ollie. We should uh, we should arrange maybe we a, broad, still go up. a podcast we, on the road. Exactly, a road <laughs> trip to uh, Ripperdon. Indeed. Uh, remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet for only £8 for eight weeks. Search The Times subscription for more information. Now, uh, we're going to be back on Thursday, uh, or rather the game podcast will be back on Thursday. I'll leave you in Natalie's highly capable hands. I, I won't be here on Thursday. I'll be in uh, Luxembourg uh, laundering money. Um, <laughs> I know that we'll be looking ahead to another weekend of Premier League action. Things don't get much easier for uh, my man Unai as uh, Arsenal travel to Stamford Bridge. Indeed, we'll see you on Thursday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.